midday takes to the airwaves on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome, Dirk Christensen with you here, surrounded by, well, look at this. I've, I've got a bunch of veterans here who insist that they are the B team. <laughs> true, gonna, true story. True I thought you were going to say surrounded by greatness. There you go. We're old old guys. I'll go with that. <laughs> Surrounding, <laughs> surrounded by aging broadcasters. Yes, yes. Now with midday Hall of Fame broadcaster <laughs> Joe Gangwish in our ag headlines. <laughs> in ag news, Nebraska Extension Specialists, they're replying to a dicamba herbicide concerns in the state. We'll talk about that at 1213. Also, the crop insurance industry had their day in front of the Senate Ag Committee yesterday. Interesting thoughts were tossed around. And uh, they're they're pretty adamant in the Senate Ad Committee that we're going to have uh, crop insurance protection in the farm bill. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Mr. Excitement is up at 1219. Am I talking about Jason Jorgensen or Gus Johnson? Oh, well, that's tough. It's a tough call. They both are. <laughs> they're both that was a trick that. question. They're wow. both Mr. Excitement. But <laughs> J- Jason talks with Fox Sports play-by-play guy Gus Johnson. He was at the Big Ten Media Days yesterday. Okay. Jason caught him for an interview, so that'll be at 1219. Our newsmaker at 1245, Michael Formica, with the National Pork Producers Council, talking about representatives they had in D.C. last week to discuss electronic logging devices, deadlines, and legislation surrounding that involving the trucking industry. So that'll be at 1245. Shaley back with uh, what I like to call her, TJZ, Tamara Jackson-Zims, UNL Extension Plant Pathologist, looking at southern rust, and it's been bad this year across parts of Kansas and Nebraska. Southern rust in corn, that'll be their topic at 117. Look forward to it. I don't know if you can top that double dose of excitement there, Scott. Yeah, that's it. It is difficult. They've set the bar very high. Um, well, but it, how can there be rust? we got to get rain to have rust. And I well, it's been so... Western, Western bean, bean. yeah. There's been a lot of spring for Western yeah. bean. A lot of fungicide going on for gray leaf spot and rust. But it's been so humid and warm, yeah. and the corn's a little bit behind. Um, so there you've got a perfect okay. scenario Makes for sense. rust. Just tune in at uh, you know, I'm gonna, 17. I'm going to set my to watch now to do that. <laughs> well, uh, Penn State was up talking yesterday. They were a big surprise at uh, in the Big Ten last year. James Franklin did a nice job. Talked about talked to him. Mike Riley uh Got to talk a little Tanner Lee in Tanner Lee. Also had a chance to talk and meet the press at Big Ten Media Day. The Los Angeles Dodgers, they are the first team to 70 wins this year. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about them as they play the Twinkies again tonight. And my Padres gave up a Little League home run last night oh. to lose the game against the Mets. Somebody hit a double, a couple errors, and uh, that's a ball that? game. Well, hey, they're not good, but they're cheap. <laughs> the Padres. Uh, and now let's go over to Dave Schroeder, who's got business. Stocks are rising in early trading on Wall Street. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 102 points. NASDAQ Composite up 10. And Standard & Poor's is up slightly at 2 points right now. Coming up in our business report, we'll take a look at new regulations for airline screening of passengers that are coming up. And also there's going to be an announcement today about uh, the maker of the iPhone possibly locating in Wisconsin. Really? Yes. Well, that's interesting. Out of Silicon Valley. Is that legal? I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out soon. I guess. I'll, I'll, I'll talk tune with into a that. Wisconsin too. accent. Cereal will have a Wisconsin accent oh. now. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> All coming to you today on Midday. <laughs> 
Well, we can thank the Canadians for hockey <laughs> and uh, cooler air. Yes, and that cooler air helping to get us some nice rains last night as that front moved through. Yep, and our uh, ag weather this hour brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Here is Paul Perkins. Two and a third inches of rain falling in Burwell. That's so far the biggest total I've seen so far. Otherwise, a fair amount of locations right around Erickson and Bartlett reporting in with two inches. We also had a report of two and a third inches of rain falling in northeast Nebraska towards Bancroft and Cumming County. We still do have some thunderstorms right now from about Columbus to Fremont. Some fairly strong thunderstorms there right along that Highway 30 corridor. And also some showers and thunderstorms over north central northeast Kansas from Osborne and Boyd to the northeast corner. And also some of that activity towards Hayes and to around La Crosse, Kansas. Could still see a few more showers and thunderstorms later today as this front continues to move to the southeast. We will see some disturbances behind that front, maybe kick up a few more showers and thunderstorms right now. A little bit of light rain in the Nebraska Panhandle towards Alliance and Chadron. That Canadian cold front moving to the southeast. The better chances today of some thunderstorms are to the southeast of a line from Columbus to Grand Allen and McCook. So better chances off towards the southeast, but not everybody out of the clear yet for some rain chances. An isolated storm may go severe, but not expecting anything in the way of severe weather concerns too much in much of Nebraska. The greater severe threat is going to be off towards the east, and they've actually lowered that quite a bit. Otherwise, we will see... Heat index readings have been on the high side over southeast Nebraska and north-central northeast Kansas. Could approach the 100-degree mark for feels-like ratings there. Uh, otherwise, much of us enjoying much cooler conditions today. A lot of us with temperatures currently in the low to mid-70s. After midnight tonight, some high pressure pushes in from the north. That'll give us some cooler and drier air for tomorrow and Friday. Mostly light rain amounts are possible with some off-and-on thunderstorm chances for Friday night into Tuesday night as the weak disturbances drop southeast through the region. We'll be on the eastern edges of that area of high pressure, that ridge of high pressure over the desert southwest, that high-pressure ridge retreating off towards the southwest for several days, and that'll keep our temperatures mostly in the 80s. It will try and build up a little but mainly it will stay off to our west. In the long term, temperatures look to stay near normal or seasonal to just below normal for Nebraska and Kansas. Monday through the first eight days of August, usually you see better precipitation chances with a temperature forecast like that. Unfortunately, not the case this time. Below normal rainfall forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through the 8th of August. Weather factors affecting the market trade include favorable rain crossing the western Midwest and validation of drought-reduced wheat production in the northern plains. As a cold front passes through the midsection of the country, cooler weather expected to follow. Thunderstorms could provide limited drought relief on the northern plains, but heavier rain going to fall in parts of the Corn Belt. More rain is needed in South Dakota. That's where they lead the nation in topsoil moisture being rated very short to short at 82%. That rain easing some of the moisture deficiencies in Nebraska before the rain in Nebraska. Topsoil moisture rated 71%, very short to short. That rain comes at a good time for the driest areas of Iowa and northern Missouri. And since the next chance of significant rain not immediately apparent, Prior conditions, our prior hot conditions, rather, over west and southwest growing areas of the Midwest and very wet conditions in eastern growing areas will likely reduce yield potential for both corn and soybeans across the Midwest. In the northern plains, production loss to heat and drought being verified on the wheat tour. In southwest North Dakota, yield estimates are running as much as 75% below a year ago. A robust 
southwest U.S. monsoon flow will help to benefit the southern plains with some scattered rain and thunderstorms and also a cooling trend. Hot and dry conditions forecast for the very dry southern Canadian prairie sector through the end of the week. Drier conditions also spreading right now in Canada. Portions of southwest Manitoba now trending drier. So a lot cooler for the immediate area, and I guess as that uh, front continues to push a little bit further to the east as we go on through the day, they have begun to ease up on the heat advisories a little bit. North central, north uh, eastern Kansas have uh, now gone under. It's still going to be a little warm, still going to be probably muggy, uh, up to about 100 degrees is your heat index for Russell, Mitchell, Osborne Counties, Kansas, but probably not that 105, so not as dangerous, at least as it was. Yeah, already ahead of that front, they're up to 94 at Pratt, Kansas, 92 a Great Men, so big difference in the air right now. But the rescue is on the way, uh-huh. hopefully. <laughs> yes. And this weather has been brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer when you need weather anytime it's a krbn.com i'm joe gangwish with an update of ag news here on the rural radio network the nebraska department of agriculture has experienced an increase in herbicide misuse complaints alleging crop damage due to herbicide products containing dicamba nda's pesticide and fertilizer program staff are actively investigating these complaints for non-compliance with state and federal laws, but they do caution the producers that, that these investigations will not characterize crop damage, acres involved, or estimated dollar losses. During NDA applicator training sessions, the Ag Department says they strongly encourage all users of herbicides and pesticides to be attentive to label requirements when selecting and applying products and to be aware of vegetation on surrounding properties and be vigilant of weather conditions. NDA says it does not plan to limit the use of dicamba in Nebraska at this time and they will work with state and federal stakeholders, industry leaders and farmers to seek appropriate action to take maybe in the future. Well, Senate Ag Committee leaders and witnesses came out swinging in defense of crop insurance during a lengthy farm bill hearing yesterday. Ag lawmakers and producers from across the nation stressed many farm bill needs, but pressed none more strongly than protecting crop insurance. Among proposed changes, arbitrary coverage limits, premium discount cuts and cuts to insurers' operating support, and rates of return. Ron Rutledge heads Farmers Mutual Hail Insurance of Iowa. He had this to say to the committee. Yeah, despite the critical role crop insurance plays in providing fiscally responsible protection to farmers, we know crop insurance will face attacks during the 2018 farm bill process. I believe many of these attacks are fueled by misinformation. On average, over the last five years, 54% of Farmers Mutual Hale customers paid premiums out of their own pockets and received zero indemnity payments. That's not an investment looking to earn a return. That's how insurance is supposed to work. Chairman of the Crop Insurance Professionals Association, William Cole, argued that the meteoric rise of crop insurance saved farmers and rural communities and put an end to ad hoc crop loss disaster programs, saving taxpayers $17 billion since 2008 and projected to save another $6.7 billion here in the next 10 years. The National Pork Producers Council had representatives in Washington, D.C. last week to talk electronic logging devices. Let's get more on that from Shaley Peters. A December deadline is looming for livestock haulers that will require all commercial vehicle operators to track their hours of service with electronic logging devices, a mandate the National Pork Producers Council is hoping to push back. NPPC Assistant Vice President and Council on Domestic Policy Michael Formica says they're hoping current legislation will help. That's where 
Congressman Babbitt's bill comes in, it actually says that the the mandate won't be enforced, won't be effective for two years, and pushes the implementation date back from December 18th of 2017 all the way till December 18th of 2019. And what we hope it accomplishes, whether it's you know Congressman Babbitt's or, or some other vehicle, is that it gives us two years to fix some of the underlying problems with the hours of service rule. Get the full scoop on MPPC's trip to D.C. and what else is happening with ELDs by visiting ruralradio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Uncertainty over the fate of the North American Free Trade Agreement already hurting U.S. exports to Mexico, according to an American farm group talking to lawmakers. Floyd Gabler, trade director at the U.S. Grains Council, told the House Ag Committee that they've got strong but unconfirmed evidence that Mexico is slated to purchase between seven and eight cargoes of corn from South America beginning in August and September. Catch more ag news by going to ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Jason Jorgensen on the Rural Radio Network. This upcoming college football season, Fox will have a bigger footprint when it comes to calling Big Ten games. The lead voice for Big Ten football from Fox will be Gus Johnson, and I talked to him this week at Big Ten Media Days, and as you might expect, Gus is pretty excited. It's not only the best conference in America, I think it's the best conference in the history of America. You know, looking back at some of the guys that have participated, Jesse Owens, you know, when he won the Olympics at Ohio State. So, I think that... Uh, this time of year is a wonderful time of year, and it's going to be a different, even more special now that that, uh, that we at Fox have a chance to, to cover Big Ten sports. You have a little bit in the past, but now, I mean, you're, you're one of the lead players in this, and it sounds like this should be a great deal moving forward. Yeah, you know, I've covered Big Ten basketball for many years, but never Big Ten football. And to have an opportunity to be a part of the conference, as I, as I mentioned, and what it represents for us here in America, is... Uh, is very special. It shows me that I've done some things right in my life and in my career to get to this point to be able to uh, be the voice of, 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 of a conference like the Big Ten. What's your take on this league? There's always a talk about how the East is so much stronger than the West, but to me, look up and down the line. I mean, there, there's, some, there's some good players there, although obviously the East should be stronger. Well, the East is strong. they got some strong teams over there with Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State. But I think that, you know, the team, and I was talking to Coach Riley yesterday, and, and I don't know a lot about Nebraska right now. we got some big games with Nebraska this year. we got Ohio State at Nebraska and Wisconsin at Nebraska. And I cover Coach Riley when he was the head coach for the San Diego Chargers. I know him. I've known him for many years. I know the first thing about him is that he's a great human being inside. He's kind. He's considerate. But he can coach some football. And going into year three, his guys are getting ready to really start emerging in that program. And they're going to be good. They're going to beat the Ohio States. They're going to beat uh, the Michigans. and the, They're going to be just as good as any team. I mean, look at what Penn State did last year. That's kind of what I think about Nebraska. I see what Penn State did, winning the Big Ten Championship. I'm going on to the Rose Bowl. Um in dramatic fashion, beating Ohio State. I see that happening for Nebraska football under Coach Riley. I think that whoever hired him was brilliant because that's the right guy. 
Isn't it funny, though, in this day and age, people don't like to be patient. You know, a couple years in, they expect you to be the top, and in a lot of places, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it just doesn't work that way, period, unless you're, you know, Urban Meyer. Exactly. You just walk in, and you're 12-0, and 0, which is crazy. But, no, I think he's on the right track, and it takes some time, and it's only two years. Uh, this is the third year, and I, I, I think that you're going to start to see him turn the corner. Um, because, first of all, it's Nebraska. I'm going to say that again. First of all, it's Nebraska. So he's not going to have problems getting the kind of guys that he wants to come down there and play football. But they have to be his kind of guys. And that is not just on the field, but off the field. And he's getting them. And it's going to happen. I'm looking forward to staying at that Marriott in Lincoln this year, the Cornhusker. <laughs> Haven't been there in a while. And it's going to be great because... Because it's going to be cold when we get there, and then, and it's going to be fun. And, and I've never had a chance to watch a game, a football game at Nebraska, and, and I just can't wait. That was Fox's lead play-by-play voice for Big Ten football this upcoming season, Gus Johnson. Reporting for the Big Ten Football Media Days in Chicago for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jason Jorgensen. Penn State coach James Franklin hopes to match the success of last year with the Nittany Lions. After years of struggle following the Jerry Sandusky scandal, Penn State broke through last season with 11 wins, a Big Ten title, and a near miss in the Rose Bowl against USC. Franklin says everything just seemed to fall together last year. For us, I felt like for the last three years we've been making really, really strong progress. I, mean, I think everybody realizes we walked into a challenging situation, had a lot of work to do, and, and we just kept working. And I'll make the argument that you know our best probably years coaching were years one and two. Everybody's focused on, on this past season, but you know the, the groundwork and the foundation that we laid in year one and two, which is, which is what allowed us to have the success that we had this year. Penn State kicks off the year at home against Akron on September 2nd. Nebraska head coach Mike Riley is confident that junior quarterback Tanner Lee will be up for the task this fall. Lee, who sat out last season after transferring from Tulane, will be the trigger man for the Huskers when this season starts. At Tuesday's Big Ten Football Media Days, Riley spoke about how Lee has positioned himself to take over as leader on the offense. The, the good thing for Tanner and, and us is that he has played in college football games. And, uh, you know, the, the other part of it is he's been with our team for about a year. And his entry uh, has been impressive in, the, in just the simple fact that he became a good teammate. Uh, became immediately well-liked and through time became very well-respected. Lee will direct an offense that returns just five starters and has major question marks at the skill positions and on the offensive line. The Los Angeles Dodgers have a 12-and-a-half game lead in the National League West and last night became the first team to win 70 games. Justin Taylor, the team's third baseman, says his team will be focused despite its big lead. I think our, our team's been pretty good about handling this stuff all year and and continuing to uh, press forward and not looking back and sitting on the record and, and uh, being satisfied. The Dodgers continue their series with the Twins tonight in Chavez Ravine. Other games in the major leagues in interleague play. Cincinnati is at the Yankees. 
Houston is at Philadelphia, Miami at Texas, and the Chicago Cubs and White Sox look to play the rubber match of their series tonight. In the American League, it is Baltimore at Tampa Bay, Boston at Seattle, Oakland is in Toronto, the Los Angeles Angels are in Cleveland, and Kansas City is in Detroit in the National League. It is Atlanta at Arizona, Pittsburgh at San Francisco, Milwaukee at Washington, Colorado taking on the Cardinals in St. Louis, and the Mets will be in San Diego. That's a quick look at sports for sports anytime. You can go to krvn.com. Stay tuned. More of Midday is on its way on the Rural Radio Network. There's a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms today, mostly cloudy with a high near 81 north winds at 15. Tonight, a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms before 10, low of around 62. And for Thursday, sunny with a high near 84 northeast winds at 5 to 10. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. USDA's new food price forecast for this year raises the possibility of grocery store prices doing something they haven't done in 60 years. Anna Marie Coons, USDA food price economist, talks about USDA's first look at the possibilities for grocery store prices in 2018. July is the first month we released our 2018 forecast, and we're expecting grocery store prices to increase in 2018 by 1% to 2%. Again, this is slightly below the historic average of 2.2%. Most of the items we are expecting to see inflation for um, 2018, but we're just expecting prices to increase at a rate, again, that's lower than you know each respective item's 20-year historic average. It was a rough weekend on Nebraska roads with several fatalities. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts adds his concern and says motorists can make a difference if they follow a simple step. But frankly, probably the biggest thing everybody can do is buckle up. There is a huge difference when you get into an accident if you're buckled in and if you're not. So whenever you're out there driving around, make sure you you, you put that safety belt on because that is going to be the single biggest thing that can make a difference in how the, the measure of you being injured if you're in an accident. The Division of Highway Safety reports that there has been 127 motor vehicle fatalities this year. That's a 5% increase over this time a year ago. A former U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service employee has been charged with burglarizing the service office in Wood River and stealing property from the service and cash from Crane Trust. Grand Island Independent reports that John Kochner is charged with felony burglary and theft. With summer and the swimming season in full swing, Tracy Detlef's Trauma Outreach Coordinator for CHI Health Good Samaritan Hospital in Kearney offers these tips for parents to ensure their young children are safe around the water. Swimming lessons are essential, but skill levels may vary. You want to make sure that your child learns to swim and that they're able to perform five water skills. First, they should be able to jump in water comfortably until it goes over their head. Then they should be able to turn around on the surface or float or tread water for at least one minute. They should be able to turn a full circle and find an exit from the water. They should be able to swim 25 yards to the exit. And then lastly, they need to be able to exit the water safely without using a ladder. Delefs also reminds parents that a lifeguard's job is to mentor the entire pool, enforce rules, rescue, and resuscitate, not to serve as a babysitter monitoring each child individually. Get your news fast and first when you like our Facebook page in the KRVN News Center. I'm Scott Foster.
livestock callers were in Washington, D.C. last week to discuss electronic logging devices. I'm Shaylee Peters for the Rural Radio Network, and here to visit with me today about that is Assistant Vice President and Council on Domestic Policy with the National Pork Producers Council, Michael Formica. And, Michael, last week, MPPC had some representatives in D.C. discussing these ELDs because they're kind of a big deal, and you guys have a looming deadline coming up with them in December. Um, why don't you go into first talking a little bit about what exactly is going on with these electronic logging devices? Sure, thanks uh, for the question. So there, there are a few things going on here, and it's a, it's an issue that sort of sprung on us here at the last uh, at the last minute. Not something we've been tracking with all all you know all too closely. So. Uh, the situation we're we're in is that a few years ago, Congress Congress required the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration to begin coming up with rules on both hours of service, um, and, and those hours of service rules have existed for a long time. But there was an update to them. So for livestock haulers, there's a there's a bigger problem in that the hours of service don't have any flexibility. In them. And one of the things these these monitors are going to do is, because there's this electronic record, they go on automatically, they turn off automatically, you become, you start be, being subject to audits where the driver's not even ident- you know, engaged with this, it's just some bureaucrat back in D.C. You have hard limits, and so if after driving for 11 hours, you're required to get off the road immediately. If you've got a truck full of pigs and it's the summer, you can't just pull off to the side of the road and sit there for 10 hours while those pigs are baking in the sun. That creates a uh, you know, severe uh, animal welfare situation. And there are, some other, there are some other issues associated with it, but that's really the, the primary one, is there's, there's no flexibility in the system for what do you do when you've run out of time. You could, you could have a traffic accident, you could have some rain. You could have you could have snow. There could be all sorts of things that, uh, as anyone who's ever driven knows, you know, will slow slow your journey down. Well, if you're if you're a truck driver, you're you're hauling livestock. Uh, if that happens, you could be in a situation where you're forced off the road, uh, forced inside of the road, and, and made to sit there for ten hours. Uh, and so that that's what our our concern is. And as you mentioned, there was some discussion last week in D.C. with the National Pork Producers Council. They had representatives down there visiting with different congressmen, senators, going to exactly what was discussed while they were down there. Sure. So there's actually been a couple of different bills that have been introduced. There's an appropriations bill, and that that's in the House. It's making its way through the through the system. And that would prevent the uh, Department of Transportation, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, from implementing the electronic logging device mandate for a period of a year. So on December 18th, if you have a truck, you're supposed to have these devices in it. It would it would keep DOT from you know from auditing you from doing an enforcement action against you. The the problem one of the problems we face is that. A lot of these uh, highway laws aren't in, aren't solely enforced by the federal government. You have state governments get involved, um, and so you know you have you have the occasional accident out there, and and trial lawyers and ambulance chasers. 
get involved and start, uh, you know, running after people. And so, even though DOT wouldn't be allowed to enforce it, you you might have a county sheriff or a, a state highway patrol officer who's who's looking to enforce this. And so um, that's where Congressman Babin's bill comes in. It actually says that the the mandate won't be enforced, um, won't be effective for two years, and pushes it pushes the implementation date back from December 18th of 2017 all the way till December 18th of 2019. What we hope it accomplishes, whether it's you know Congressman Babbins or, or some other legal, is that it gives us two years to fix some of the underlying problems with the hours of service rule. We can work with DOT to create a situation where if you're hauling livestock, you know the the welfare of the animals is going to come into is going to come into play, and that there's going to be you know there's going to be a margin for error on on either end. This is not entirely a new issue. We we actually dealt with the hours of service rules a, a few years ago. They had also required after eight hours of driving that a driver pull over and take a thirty minute rest break, and you know which. There's nothing really wrong with that, except the way they defined a rest break is they would they would uh, prohibit the driver from from taking any care of the animals, and so we're we are very very concerned about the condition uh, these animals are in when they when they arrive at their final destination, whether you know it's a packing plant or whether it's a, it's another farm. All right, thanks so much, Michael Formica, Assistant Vice President and Council of Domestic Policy for the National Pork Producers Council discussing electronic logging devices, some of the legislation surrounding that, and uh, where they're sitting in support of this legislation, and that deadline coming up in December as they hope to get it pushed back. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Next, we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe, again, we had that movement real fast uh, for a while in the live cattle today. Yep, and it all came uh, virtually at the end of the day. So uh, well, we uh, moved pretty fast in the opening, but uh, then slowed down through the midsection. Uh, broke uh, once the uh, auction was uh, final. A little disappointing in the uh, sales, and we broke down uh, and everything moved lower for quite a while. And then uh, we began to strengthen, and then we got a pretty good little flurry right there at the end. I think a lot of it short covering. Uh, you know, we it uh, we took one extra day from our uh, usually our Tuesday turnaround, but uh, uh, yeah, we ended up uh, mostly higher in the uh, cattle, uh, mixed in the uh, feeders. The uh, nearby feeders didn't manage to make it quite back to uh, unchanged. The rest of them uh, a little bit higher. Uh, cutouts at noon uh, were uh, uh, a little softer, but uh, nothing uh, spectacular there. And uh, so we had a nice uh, little bit of recovery uh, after uh, our uh, cattle on feed report from last Friday. Over in the hogs, higher most of the day, uh, and finishing higher uh, at the end of the day. Uh, cash seems to be uh, a little bit better. Uh, today, uh, like yesterday, and the uh, cutouts were higher at noon. So, ended up with a positive day, trying to narrow that uh, gap as the index uh, ratcheted down. 
Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter for the first three days this week estimated 349,000, 2,000 more than last week. Hogs, 1,300,000, 1,000 more than last week. I'm Dewey Nelson. Southern corn rust has made its way north into northeast Kansas and southeast Nebraska. And here to visit with us today about that is Tamara Jackson Zims, UNL Extension plant pathologist. And Tamara, we visit with you from time to time during the growing season to kind of get an update on things. But this one, uh, very important, again, making its way into Nebraska. Give us an update on what exactly we're seeing out there with the southern corn rust. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about it today. And, you know, it's not unusual for us to see some southern rust in our corn. And, in fact, we've seen some rust every year in the last uh, decade or so. But it, it really matters how much you've got and where it is. And right now, the counties where we've received samples and confirmed the disease are limited right now to the extreme southeastern part of the state. Uh, Right now, as far west as York, Fillmore, and Thayer counties, all the way eastern over toward uh, Cass County and south to Richardson. So it's likely that it's in some other counties as well. Like I said, this is kind of just in southeast Nebraska, but has moved its way west a little bit. Do you foresee it continuing to move west, or do you think it'll kind of stick around those counties? What kind of impact do you see with this, Tamara? You know, this pathogen is one, it does not overwinter here. So that's good news for us. Having had it in the past plays no role in whether you're going to have it this year or, or even next year. And so instead, we have to watch for where the disease is developing south of us. The winds are what we blame for bringing the rust spores up into our area. And as you know, in the last two weeks, 10 days or so, we've had a lot of very hot weather and south southerly winds with a lot of very high humidity, some rain showers in uh, southern Nebraska, and all of that really has created a favorable environment for disease development and moving the rust spores in. And if you look into Kansas, we notice that there is there's a number of counties in Kansas, a lot of them actually, where they've confirmed southern rust. And so we do have some rust south of us, and I would expect that it's likely that we're going to see other counties uh, develop some southern rust, and it remains to be seen yet how severe that will become. Not sure how far west it's going to spread, but for the counties that have confirmed it, how bad is it there, and what kind of impact are you looking at it in the southeast Nebraska, northeast Kansas region? Well, right now, we have to remind people, too, that it often um, and often we confirm counties by a single sample from a single cornfield that has rust on it. And so in many cases, those fields are very early in this disease development. But some some fields further east in the extreme southeastern part of the state, uh, Cass, Odo, Nemahawk County, for example, and Richardson, they may have had it for a couple or three weeks now, and they may be... Uh, beginning to see more severe rust as it begins to build up inside that cornfield. And in some localized areas, it's uh, probably going to be necessary to make fungicide applications in those fields to make sure that they have good control over it. While in other counties where we're just beginning to see it develop here and there, 
I would uh, consider watching that very closely and frequently for the next few weeks. And as they begin to see more and more of it in their field, then they may need to make a decision about a fungicide. All right. All very good information. Hearing today from Tanra Jackson-Zim. She's a UNL Extension plant pathologist talking to us about southern corn rust moving its way north into northeast Kansas, southeast Nebraska, as far as York counties. Jaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Grain and soybean futures closed moderately higher today. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Well, let's get some comments from John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. The Fed came out with an announcement today, John. Yes, uh, would have been right around 1 o'clock. Uh, it didn't affect the grain markets too much, but I think um, just the, the kind of lack of direction as far as rate hikes go, they were a little more bullish on rates than I think the market thought they could have been, but they didn't raise rates, and I think they, they pointed towards some disappointing inflation numbers, which I think could have been um, a reason why the dollar's down. So since that announcement has come out, we've dropped from 94 even on the dollar index down to 93.5. Uh, we got a good close on the grains, corn almost on its highs, and every contract uh, going out to December 2018, uh, the daily highs is what I'm referring to. So, uh, you know, I think we've kind of weathered the storm, so to speak, and, and with a very poor pun, I'll transfer into the weather. Uh, um, you know, we got rain today, and I think, you know, this room, this market is very buy the rumor, sell the fact, and, and vice versa. So when the, when the news gets bullish off of weather, that's almost the time to sell it, and vice versa. We've, we've seen the, the rains come and the market bounce, because I think now it's about what what have you done for me lately? And depending on who you talk to, some got good rains out in Iowa, some guys missed it. And uh, I don't think we're going to see the USDA give some big push now to good to excellent ratings. If anything, we're just sideways. And overall, when you uh, look at this corn and soybean market, again, we were at the bottom end of trading ranges, uh, I should say, uh, yesterday with our big ba- downward close. Yeah, it's like the opposite of yesterday in a way, where we were trading kind of higher and then all of a sudden it broke. I, I, you know, I think wheat's still got to be the one that leads this thing up, especially on the on the on the feed grain side. But I'm not convinced of anything on yields yet. You know, I can make you can make the case to me that 166 is it. You could probably make the case to me that 158, 159 is in the in the cards. But I think somewhere in between here we'll end up, and and uh, the market has a lot of roller coaster to it in the short run. But I would be looking if this thing rallies. Take a look at 2018 contracts. There, I I don't see a whole lot of downside to getting, uh, you know, if we push up to 425, December 18 corn to get something on, um, you know, just to get a floor in. If you've got old crop bushels or even this new crop to sell, that's not going to be the worst sale you make if, if, if you're wrong. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst for Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Check it out. Go to danielsagmarketing.com or call their direct line to John uh, Payne at 866 866- 825-8561. Corn finishes four higher, soybeans up seven and a quarter, and wheat up two to three and a half. I'm Dewey Nelson.